0: In this episode, we are talking about Frank McCourt's Angela's Ashes, which is a weird sentence to say.
1: A memoir by Frank McCourt called Hunger, Poverty, Alcoholism, Catholicism, Death, Illness. Maybe. I don't know. Just a suggestion.
0: Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf Podcast, episode 47. In this episode, we are talking about Angela's Ashes by Frank McCourt. I am Ryan, and with me is my good buddy and fellow host, Jacob. Yes, hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club, book
1: cult, book something or other, episode 47. I lost it for a sec, but we got it right back there at the end. Make (laughs) sure that we didn't have to re-record this. Woo, I'm excited. Episode 47, uh, otherwise known as Suffering Part 2. Um, of yeah. our little two-part microcosm uh, suffering segment that we've decided to kick off the uh, beginning of the year with. For those of you yeah. who are unaware, if you were with us on our last episode, we did Nickel Boys, which was a pretty uh, intense book. And yeah. spoiler alert for those of you who uh, I'm sure read Angela's Ashes along with us, this one is kind of a little bit intense in that way as well.
0: Yeah, real happy childhood these last two episodes. Yeah, very,
1: very happy childhood and adolescence, but... That being said, we don't have too crazy of plans for Severing Part 2. It's going to be a pretty standard episode. We're going to tell you a little bit about the author, Frank McCourt. We actually have a treat, a little present that was hidden in my uh, used copy of the book that we'll get to. I'm going to tell you a summary, and then we're just going to get into it. Uh, I think we've got a few questions. I know I have a couple. Yeah. We may talk a little bit about themes. We may talk about some higher-level stuff, but we'll mostly probably just stick mostly probably that's a double uh a yeah double you didn't dip, seem too committed to that a double dip there into the not fence sitting but uh we'll dip a lot into um some controversy maybe that surrounds yes. this book that we literally did not know about until we just walked into the office and watched and uh, read a few things so i'm excited about that and then of course we'll get to our patented three tier four if we're getting rid of it five if it's gonna die of consumption six if uh we're it's uh, there's not going to be a six yeah but uh, yeah and then of course could we burnish will, it to hell we could do that we could not uh, absolve it of its sins in yeah. confession mm-hmm. that could be six but then of course we'll tell you what we have in store for suffering part three which is our next episode coming up hopefully not actually Super I've got a couple books in mind I'll figure it out before the end of the episode what I'm going to go with and you might have something in mind as well all right. So yeah, that's, ex- that's exciting, this is exciting, no, you're, suffering yeah. part two
0: I can, Your face says you're excited, your voice sounds it's you're not It's been a couple episodes since we've had to have a beer
1: in yeah. lieu of the uh, flavored seltzer water So you know, you know that we're
0: into it right we're, we're in for a good episode So mm-hmm. uh, if you haven't read the book, uh, either with us or previously, I don't know, maybe don't listen until you read the book Because it's weird to listen to a podcast about a book you haven't read you're just going to get in-depth discussion about something that you're not going to know a lot about. Uh, but let's talk about Frank McCourt. So uh, we both found things in our, in our used books this, uh, this time around, which is first. really funny. So in, uh, in my book, uh, first of all, my book was Chewed Up by a Dog. Uh, on Good like start. the the bottom back cover, and you already uh, had this. you didn't go out and
1: purchase the yeah shoot it was, up it was with... my
0: it was my wife's copy, so uh, she rescued uh, our German shepherd uh, when he was like a year and a half old and I guess he went through a phase where he would pull books off the shelves and uh, you know just chew on them relatively lightly. Uh, so this one had you know chew marks in it, and some of the pages I had to like peel apart.
1: I want to let you know, since you don't have any children, that yeah. is a that is something that spans multiple species because oh, okay. um, my one year old will routinely do the same thing. So will pull books down and start chewing on the spine, and, and I'll have to. Uh, I'll it's have to come terrifying. down and be like, no, don't do that. That's not, no, that's not what we do with books. So yeah. it's
0: interesting. Another it is, point in the I should not have kids column.
1: It's like just, maybe it's just a, a uniquely mammalian sort of uh, instinct and reaction to
0: literature. Yeah. I don't hear too many reptiles eating books, but, you know, maybe there's some out there. Uh, so then the, the other thing I thought was humorous is that uh, apparently my wife used a dollar bill Uh, As a bookmarker, because she had it all folded up and like crisp inside of there. Um, And so I use that as my bookmarker. So that was was a fun thing to find in there. Everybody likes finding a dollar. Yeah. What did you find in yours?
1: So I got mine from Half Price Books. Shout out to Half Price Books. I know they're not a sponsor of the show, but I love Half Price Books. I do too. I'll plug them for free. Um, I love, they're like basically the first place I go to get books. Same. I love it there. Yeah. But uh, obviously, yeah, I went there to get my copy of Angela's Ashes. Check out, get it in the car. I'm Typically, I like to thumb through uh, just to, you know, just... Yeah, make sure it's, it's my new good book. Order. I, 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 with, I get a little smell. I peel the the sticker off, and, you know, we set it in the, the passenger seat, put the seatbelt on it, and drive home. <laughs> just make sure it's safe. Well, this oh. time, as I was thumbing through, I was graced with not just one, because a lot of times I'll get old bookmarks yeah, in some sure, of those sure. books or things like that, or someone will write something in the books, or they'll put, take notes in the the margins. I always find that interesting. Yeah. Um, but no in this one this is the first time ever perfectly preserved about three pages in is a newspaper clipping from 2009 i'm guessing from the the dallas morning news okay is what i would what i would have to guess or it could be something else i mean the the movie times on the
0: back of this newspaper
1: article are from the dallas area so i'm assuming it's the dallas morning news but in it we not necessarily an obituary but kind of a in memoriam of Frank McCourt's passing from back in two thousand and nine, which was interesting, and also about thirty pages in or forty pages in, used as an actual bookmark, is what appears to be like a money order from two thousand, and it has Chichen Itza on it, and
0: uh, yeah, so That's two random. Two little, two little treats in my book. Okay, well, instead of like doing the normal author bio, let's just let's read the little. Yeah, thank thank you whoever had this, because you
1: just helped us out, I guess, a little bit.
0: Yeah, for sure. Or helped Ryan out. It's it's pretty neat. So, uh, credits given to the uh, Associated Press. I'm not sure what newspaper this came out of, uh, but the article is, Angelus Ashes. author dies at 78. Uh, Frank McCourt, the beloved raconteur, is that the right word? The right pronunciation? Raconteur? Raconteur. Uh, And former public school teacher who enjoyed post-retirement fame as the author of Angela's Ashes, the Pulitzer Prize-winning memoir about his impoverished Irish childhood, died Sunday, not really this Sunday, but Sunday in 2009. 11 years ago. Yeah, uh, of cancer. Uh, McCourt, who was 78, had been gravely ill with meningitis and recently was treated for melanoma, the deadliest form of skin cancer. He died... At a Manhattan hospital, uh, his brother Malachi McCourt said. So he was survived by his brother. Um, Which didn't happen a lot in that family, by the way. Spoiler. Yeah. uh, Until his mid-60s, Frank McCourt was known primarily around New York as a creative writing teacher and as a local character. I don't know what that (laughs) means. (laughs) I hope that when
1: I pass one day, some news organization or paper puts that for me in
0: there, but they, he was they a character. S- they somewhat defined it. Uh, a local character, the kind who might turn up in a New York novel, singing songs and telling stories with his younger brother Malachi and otherwise joining the crowds at the White Horse Tavern and other literary hangouts. There was always a book or two being formed in his mind and the world uh, would learn his name and story in 1996 after a friend helped him get an agent and... His then-unfinished manuscript was quickly signed by Scribner. Uh, With first printing of just 25,000, Angela's Ashes was an instant favorite with critics and readers, and perhaps the ultimate case of the non-celebrity memoir, The Extraordinary Life of an Ordinary Man. F. Scott Fitzgerald uh, said, There was no second acts in American lives. I think I've proven him wrong, McCourt later explained, and all because I refused to settle for one act existence, the 30 years I taught English in various New York City high schools. Uh, The book has been published in 25 languages and 30 countries. Again, that's probably aged. Uh, McCourt was born August 19th, 1930 in Brooklyn. His Irish parents were so poor they returned to Ireland when he was little and settled in the slums of Limerick. Simply surviving his childhood was a tale. McCourt's father was an alcoholic who drank up the little money his family had. Three of the McCourt's seven siblings died, and he nearly perished from typhoid fever. Uh, Quote, "'Worse than the ordinary, miserable childhood is the miserable Irish childhood, and worse yet is the miserable Irish Catholic childhood,' unquote, was uh, McCourt's unforgettable opening to Angela's ashes.'" The book became a million-seller, won the Pulitzer, uh, and was made into a movie of the same name, starling, starring Emily Watson as the title character McCourt's mother. Really? That's, that's fascinating. Uh, it goes on to say some other things about his books. Uh, McCourt was married twice, although I thought I said I saw in that interview he was married three times, so this uh, doesn't appear to be correct. And he had a daughter, Maggie McCourt, from his first marriage. Interesting, find. yeah.
1: I mean, he's definitely the epitome of a late bloomer, yeah, uh, within this field, which is interesting to be kind of that old and, and starting out. but I mean, obviously he enjoyed his uh, his great deal of success for that last little bit.
0: yeah. Uh, so without using his opening sentence of the book, how, how are you going to summarize this one?:
1: Pretty easily, actually, okay, uh, in the clearest way possible. Let's go. Summary. Angela's Ashes by Frank McCord is a memoir about his childhood and adolescence, born into a poor Irish family with no money but plenty of babies. Yeah. Apparently to expend. All right. I don't know if that's the most PC way of saying it, but there we go. It's out there. I can't take it back
0: now. There, there were lots of babies. You're... There were a lot of babies. I mean, that's, that's, that's factually
1: true. There were a lot of babies. I don't know where we should begin on this one. I don't know either. I think the interesting thing here is because i feel like because i had not really i had not even really known about this tangentially it was not something that was on my radar um i was not familiar with it so when i read it and after the fact every time you know i read i always like to go out and basically look at stuff about it look at uh, author interviews look at kind of the effects i guess or sort that that these types of books that we read have yeah That this is kind of like the godfather of misery memoirs, which I feel are kind of uh, everywhere nowadays, you know, 20 some odd years later, that this is kind of the first seemingly one that just sort of had something that people liked and it blew up Mm -hmm. that wasn't, you know, a historical figure of importance or like they said, you know, a... uh, wasn't a celebrity or someone else who would naturally have that audience it was just kind of an ordinary person with this sort of mm-hmm. troubled upbringing and i don't know what it is about the idea of indulging in that in the sense of reading because that is the that is the the, the strangest thing about about these type of things for me is whenever i think of memoirs i think of um People or characters that have you know kind of a great deal of significance, and it's kind of mm-hmm. like oh, I'm peering in, like peering behind that sort of veil of you know the mystery of this person, whoever this ubiquitous figure or sure, these people, sure. and and kind of understanding their background. And it is it is odd to kind of um, essentially read a memoir about someone who ultimately is the most is is famous because of the memoir they wrote. Right, it's, right. it's it's it it's just kind of this like weird cyclical thing for me and I didn't really know how to feel because you know it's it is interesting. Um I don't think I would say enjoyable to to read but I don't know what it, what is it that you think kind of has
0: brought life to this genre. I think people generally like flock to like voyeuristic tendencies, right? And and I, I don't mean that in like a in, in a weird way necessarily, but like we are inherently curious what other people are up to. That's why like you know uh, reality TV is a thing, Fair. right? And has been for a couple decades now. Um, and to your point, like this this whole genre of like personal memoir is now sort of the Kind of driving factor in like nonfiction, or I mean, you, s- certainly like literary nonfiction. I mean,
1: I, I immediately think of you can think of kind of I, more fictionalized versions, but Sympathizer is something that I kind of think of. Yeah. that Or on Earth, we briefly gorgeous. Two books we read last year sure. that are very kind of similar: troubled childhood and even yeah.
0: blankets.
1: Yeah. I sure, mean, even sure. for that matter, it's like a lot of those. I guess kind of have stemmed, and mm-hmm. I, I feel like you. Without paying attention to it directly, because you know I haven't we haven't read a direct book that said this is a memoir, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. presented as some sort of fiction or some other creative device. It's hey, this is this is a historical memoir that right. it's like oh wow, this is kind of I don't know. I I think I would be dated to say it's in vogue now because it's probably be, been in vogue for you know twenty years now. But yeah. it's still, it's just I don't know. It's an interesting it's an interesting genre. That I feel like I just don't get.
0: Well, so, you know, I, th- I think there's, there's a couple there's a couple things, and I definitely have, like, a personal tie here. So, like, one, I, I think that um, that writing is an act of catharsis, uh, especially writing, like, nonfiction, Absolutely. right? You know, then taking that a step further past, you know, just writing it, um, I think you have to you have to believe that you know your experience has some sort of um, value for somebody else. I, I mentioned it dozens of times at this point, but the book that I'm writing about my grandmother growing up in Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. the, the impetus of that book was, was that my grandmother wanted to tell her story because she was seeing reflections in our national politics and, and just our divisive behavior as a society that she saw in Germany growing up. And her point wasn't um wasn't that you know her experience was something that she wanted to share outside of it just she wanted it to be a cautionary tale and she asked me to do that yeah and so you know i think that's the other thing is that outside of the personal experience you could have a historical experience we could do a whole podcast on you know just the impetus of memoir and why is it important uh is it important that we know each other's experiences.
1: Well, yeah, I, I, like you said, kind of in a sense of voyeurism, I think there's two sides of the coin, right? There's the people who are curious because there is this idea, or at least there is this commonality, this connection that all human experience is, is very similar. Mm -hmm. That, that, you know, you'll have experienced things or thoughts or feelings or phases in your life when you were younger, that, maybe not universally but that you'd be surprised in things that you thought like oh this is the only, like I was the only one that dealt with this and then you come to find out when you get older and yeah. you kind of meet other people and do all these things it's like wow you you went through this sort of same thing as well and so in a lot of ways it's kind of interesting to sort of discover that connection and then the flip side of that is i think people oftentimes will seek out these sorts of things for um insight into experiences they have nothing about, or they have no idea about, they've never experienced anything sure, like that. Yeah. Like, I can understand, you know, how powerful something like this could be for people who've never lived. And, and granted, you know, poverty in America today, not to not to downplay the people that live in, in impoverished situations today, but <laughs> in no way compares to the type of experiences that you've seen kind of sure. in years past. I mean, sure. ripping ripping the wall down for firewood having to go out and you know collect coal off the road just to to kind of burn moving everything upstairs because it's just too damp and wet like it's those sorts of things it's it's almost incomprehensible today and so it's kind of you know I guess there's that desire to sort of indulge in that or read in that in in an essence to try to gain some sort of perspective or, or clarity and and for those people, I think they're going to get a lot of that with this book. I think that those are the people primarily that are the ones that end up enjoying this book at a higher degree than, say, uh, your caveman readers like me who who can appreciate a lot of what this book does. And I'm spoiling kind of where yeah, I'm at yeah. mentally. And this is why I love this podcast, because I may change 20 minutes from now, depending on how much we're talking about it, but... When you talk to kind of a caveman reader like me, who can read the book and go, "Okay, I appreciate a lot of elements in this book. I can appreciate the trials that he's gone through, whether completely real or if some embellishment here or there. I'm sure it all comes down to a huge nugget of truth and experience. Um, but it just doesn't really, it doesn't really do much for me. Yeah, as, as a reader in, in my style. And we can get that. Well, we can, it, we it, can start knocking those those pins down. Yeah, if you're let's... kind of feeling in that direction too, or
0: yeah, so I guess um, like the the question of a payoff, right? like that that's really what you're talking about and like, well, it's not necessarily a payoff because I you know, it's a memoir. I don't expect
1: I don't expect there to be some sort of lesson to be learned and, and no, but
0: but you expect to leave the book with some kind of overarching impression about a situation or about what you just read. Yeah, that's fair, right. and and so and I struggle with 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 that concept with with memoir, even very good ones. Is that sometimes it is just sort of uh, this is it, what happened? Yeah, it's a recitation of of you know an experience, mm-hmm. and you know on, on on one hand it doesn't always make for the most satisfying read, um, but on the other hand, do our lives ever really culminate in these in these sort of things, right? Or do does one crisis just sort of fizzle out into you know some type of normality that swells into the next thing? And I mean, if if you just think about the things that like you know, have gone on in your life, even if I just take, you know, the last five years of mine, there's, there's never a point where you just sort of go like, aha, like this is all like clean cleanly, all coming cleanly together. tied up. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I'm going to put a stop here and then, you know, I start this next part and it's just, um, I think memoir sort of mimics that sort of uh, continuity in life. And it is somewhat dissatisfying as, as a, as a reader sometimes to, to, to read that. But there's something to be said for just the honesty of you know not uh not embellishing the situation right not Mm -hmm. not trying to to give inherent meaning to um the experiences that you're trying to convey right
1: because we spend you know we spend the bulk of this book kind of going through day by day year by year of this sort of uh situation this deeply impoverished family frank's whole situation there's Mm -hmm people around him losing their lives to sickness or just poverty and his kind of experiences. And then we kind of get to this point where it's, okay, he's pulling himself out of there and then the book just kind of ends. So it's a very, you know, it's, it isn't what I would necessarily say was one of those that you put down and you go, wow, like I just read that. It was kind of one of those I put down and went like, wow, all right. I'm done reading that. Like, yeah. woo! That was a that was a, a brutal slog, and that's tough. Even even going into it as a, again as a memoir, not expecting, I wasn't expecting, you know, this like, oh, it's fiction, and we, he has all these you know character development and all mm-hmm. this. Because mm-hmm. really, outside of you know the normal slight progression and kind of his thoughts on his father and his mother, like he doesn't really. He's kind of you know he's forced to be. Very adult at a young age, and that's kind of carries throughout the, his the rest of his time there. Yeah. Um. So it's not as though we get like character, or, you know, a ton of this like character development. It's kind mm-hmm. of he is who his situation has forced him
0: to be. Yeah. Which is obviously realistic because it, you know it's his memoirs. But so can can we can we kind of stop on that thought for a second? I want yeah. to I want to talk about that a little bit because this is I think one of the one of the most interesting things that i took away from the book i felt that McCourt was um being was was trying to distance himself from a lot of the the situations that were happening in the book and i f- i feel like um i don't know if it was a sort of self-preservation technique in the sense that like he was not trying to you know sort of interject his own you know emotions retroactively about what was happening. Yeah. Or if you know he really just felt like he was um apart from him, from everything and 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 the reason that that I kind of think that is like just his behavior about like saving money at, to go to America and not really help his family at all. Yeah. That's in, incredibly selfish. Sure. Um and uh so I just I kind of I had this thought that it like the impression that I walked away from the book about him was that, you know, he just sort of experienced all of this. He observed it, um, but it never really seemed to affect him, like, as we read him through the book. Do, yeah. Does
1: that make sense? So, yeah, I mean, going into it, I guess my my expected sort of uh, tone for memoirs would be more, like, reflective right. on, on what's happened and kind of, like, leading up to... to I guess the present day or whatever events there that are surrounding that. But this is very much like it's told in present tense. It's told as it's happening. And we're kind of pulled chronologically through all these events that kind of repeat a little bit over. You know, it's kind of like, oh, and yeah. more bad stuff happened. And more bad stuff happened. And more bad stuff happened. And more bad stuff happened. Then I moved to America at the end. Um, but it does seem like it was very like our narrative voice was very detached like it was kind yes. of like he's he's top down looking at this but at the same time trying to persuade the reader into believing that this is like oh you're following along with me through this kind of journey that my childhood took and yep. and yeah i think you you hit the nail on the head that it's very it's very detached it's very you know he's very distant it's he's kind of like an observer to all of these right. things that you would think would deeply affect him and deeply bring about like a lot of emotional turmoil and all these things and maybe that just lend that to his writing style maybe it's just he was very because i i think he was a very kind of dry he didn't really get into a lot of like emotional is more so he's telling and not necessarily expounding upon these sort of uh emotional tidbits outside of small little things with his mom and dad but yeah, it, it it was kind of there was that kind of small disconnect in my mind yeah. when I'm reading this where it felt very distant for something that was happening so you know personally and so close yeah. quarters around him. It, I, it 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 felt very sterile.
0: Yeah, I w- I would say that like for something so personal, it felt very impersonal. Yeah. It, that's that's as concisely as I could say it. And I I wonder a little bit like the the title Angela's Ashes Right, like we we spend a lot of time on his mom. Really, in the totality sure. of the book, um, she is more the object of the a lot of the experience until he gets older. Like later in the memoir, um, she's really the the center of of a lot of what was going on. Yeah, and um, I mean, if you think about like you know when you're a kid, um, yeah, that's that's probably true. Your parents are probably you know more of your sort of conscious thought than than even yourself right yeah. like you know you're even if you are fucking up and you know getting in trouble your your first thoughts not like you know
1: I'm, how is this going to affect me right it's, it's oh, i'm going to get grounded my parents, grounded. Gonna my parents are going to be pissed yeah.
0: like you know whatever and so like you know maybe there's there's something slightly genius about that like shifting perspective um but i i, I think the argument could also be made that it's you know he's being guarded he's uh being a little bit cagey about um his own you know emotion and i felt that i felt that was a little bit you know off putting in some ways um to be you know sort of uh passenger and driver all at yeah, the same time yeah i mean
1: when you're when you're creating a book like this where it's so deeply personal and you're not pulling any punches and you're trying to vividly Retell these experiences, but you're completely lacking that emotional side of it. It does. It feels a little disingenuous. It yeah. feels like a little bit where it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to give, I'm going to overshare mm-hmm. than what, you know, because typically people are pretty guarded and reserved about awful things that happen to them. Sure. So it's, I'm going to overshare for the sake of illuminating all these things that happen. But, I'm going to keep myself somewhat locked off so that I can kind of maintain that control over the situation because it's kind of, you know, one of the things that I've seen about these types of memoirs is it's, I I think you even use the word brave very early on Mm -hmm. when you're kind of going at it, no holds barred. These are the real people. These are their names. This is what happened to me. These are all these things. Yeah. It's, it is to kind of pull all that out and just put it out there for anybody to consume, that is, that takes that takes some that takes some cojones, you know, right. to, to be able to to muster that up. But it is like it is slightly diminished because you don't have that emotional level. And and that isn't necessarily I don't know if it was necessarily a conscientious choice from him to say like, well, I'm gonna do this, but I'm really not gonna get into the emotional, or if that was due to how old he was when he wrote it. Maybe it's just time has not necessarily healed all wounds, but just sort of you know, worn that down to the point sure. where you don't have those strong emotions anymore. You have those strong memories, and you have those you you have those vivid circumstances. This happened. This happened. This happened. Mm-hmm. I think this would be a very different book if Frank wrote this when he was thirty, or yeah. when he wrote it sure. when he was sure. thirty-five. Yeah. He wrote this when he was what in his sixties. Yes, and so yeah, it's kind of one of those when you're that far removed. I can understand to some extent the emotional detachment. I don't think it was like a a conscientious choice. I keep saying conscientious instead of conscious. Yeah. Jesus. A conscious choice. I don't think it was something that he said, well, I don't want to leave myself that vulnerable. I think it was just a matter of how old he was when he wrote it, how removed from the situation he was. Yeah. He but, could get the details, but he couldn't get <clears throat> the feelings right.
0: When when you're writing memoir, though, or really any nonfiction that has to do with personal stuff, you have to have that that sort of uh, level of, of, of self-awareness um, psychologically, emotionally, um, because you're, you would be doing the genre and frankly, the story, you know, that other people are involved in, uh, a disservice if you're not aware of your own potential biases. Right. Right. And, um, the thing that I, that I find really, really interesting is that, you know, especially in this book and, and maybe we can, this is a good, like jumping off point to talk about some of the controversy, um, is that, he exposes a lot of people for for their bad actions, right? His his dad being being an alcoholic and and constantly spending all of their money. His yeah. mom for uh you know basically cheating on his dad, but his dad had abandoned them at at that point. Sure. Um all of his friends and and uh you know all these different situations, but I, I mean god, I could think of things that like I did when I was a kid that I'm ashamed of, right? Mm-hmm. That like, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily want to put in a in a book, but like if you're writing a memoir about your life and you're going to expose all of these flaws in everybody else and never really expose your own other than um you know he he does this thing with religion to try to like uh bake bake in like his like catholic guilt right yeah. or that whole like sort of uh, theme of guilt that was imposed on him mm-hmm. um by by others for just you know natural thoughts and musings and wonderings as as you're as you're growing older right and so there was always sort of this excuse, right, because now we, we see, you know, especially the non-religious through a lens of, you know, like these are just natural things that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and But we never really get a, 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 a true like Frank fucked up kind of moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that that to me was was very telling. So I I think that there there was a lot more like self-preservation here in this book than than there was, you know, sort of just. Accidental uh, preservation, as it were. I, I think I think it was an intentional choice, but I mean, hell, I, I there's no way I could prove that. But just the way that he wrote about other people, I think indicates that he, you know, could have done the same about himself, and he chose not to. I do want to talk
1: real quick mm-hmm. about the book stylistically, okay? Because I feel like anytime there's a book like this where there's some like weird little niche thing that the author does. And that I think it's it's important that we make note of it and at least acknowledge how we personally feel about it. So the thing in this book, there is a lot of colloquialism, a lot of kind of uh, Phonetic. phonetics, yeah. which is to be understood with uh, the, the time place of this. Like, that doesn't bother me. Um, there are no quotes. There's some rough paragraph situations when it comes to a lot of in-character dialogue. And there's a lot of character dialogue. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of, like, asides. I do like the small little snippets whenever we get the poems and the songs and all that from his dad that they're kind of, we we have them a little bit condensed in there that it's not done in that same fashion. Um, But stylistically, going through this book and reading it, would you, did that bother you? Did it make it a more difficult read for you? How difficult of a read did you feel this book was by the end of it?
0: Um, Well, first, first let me say I hate phonetic speech, like in... In writing, always, uh, yeah, I think that there is there is something like slightly insulting, and you know, depending on the circumstance, sometimes like slightly racist about like just using that device that I just I don't think is necessary. Um, that being said, I I do think it delivers a certain effect, sure, uh, which is know, its that, purpose. That's, that's yeah, but it's just I, I always. Just have this really weird, like uncomfortable feeling when, whenever I I see it like extended throughout a book like this. So I think this goes back. I,
1: I don't remember which episode it was, but there was a few episodes back where we were talking about reading styles, right? Where yeah. it's like you do you have that voice in your head that reads it out, and you're kind of like listening to that, or is yep. it just something that you're kind of just like, you're not thinking about anything, and you're reading it? And I feel like that phonetic style is meant really for the the type of reader that's like, you know. Has the characters in their head and they're talking and all this because it really kind of I guess helps to visualize that. Yeah, and I can't remember. I think you said you were not you're not that kind of person that you I'm have not, kind of no. the characters. Yeah. You very much just have a your one tone when yep. you read through. Yep, and I'm a little bit I'm a little bit back and forth, so I can understand to some extent the you know, the phonetics, because I'll I'll be reading, and I'll be like, you know, and I'll kind of get into that character. So that is interesting, too, that that kind of effect, like, you hate it, you absolutely hate it, which makes sense, because you don't have that internal reading style, where you have different characters and different voices that you give to people, you're very much just, words are on the page, I read them, I think about them, and I'm I'm wishy-washy, right? I'm kind of a little bit of both. Some books I'll do some of that, so it kind of helps but yeah so
0: i was just gonna say then you know kind of in in the overarching you know form then memoir is a little bit weird in that um obviously he's not writing down you know verbatim people's words right sure um but he's got an impression for how people talk um and the things that they might have said in situations you know we might remember a fight with our parents and roughly what was said, and we could probably reconstruct a conversation in our head um, about that, but it is not going to be the conversation. So using, you know, quotations and and normal dialogue, uh, you know, visual cues is not appropriate sometimes in in memoir. So I, you know, I don't have a problem with the way that he handled, um, you know, uh, just that whole piece of things. Um, I I don't like the giant blocks of text. uh, And I think that, like, but if he would have broken things out in a more traditional, you know, like sort of format, this book would have been 700 pages. Sure. Uh, I mean, I do think that some of the uh, like editing and stylistic choice was just out of necessity. For brevity's for, sake. Yeah, con- like condensing everything. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that my overall impression of like readability, I think was fine. Like sure. As as far as like his writing style and editing choices and all of that. I, it left me with a positive impression. I actually I read this fairly quickly. It was monotonous, not because of its style, but because of its content. Sure, um, which we and, can get into. Yeah, and and so I, I I didn't really have too much of a problem with it from that from that angle. I, I thought it was very good actually, except for the phonetic spelling of things.
1: Okay. Well, it's I don't know. I always did something I want to make note of. I. I was annoyed by the no quotation stuff, but okay. it, it didn't attract enough where it was just like I was bogged down. You know, it's something that you kind of adjust to about 20, 30 pages in and you're yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, do I love it? No. But does it completely derail the whole, you know, thoughts on the book? No. Yeah. So, um, subject matter. Subject matter. This book pulls no punches early on. I think. Uh we were talking about this briefly early on. The one thing that, that kind of tripped me up though before we get into the controversy is I would say the first what 60, 70 pages of this book, it's just it's just everything. It's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And we hit this like weird point in the book where things kind of just get whimsical and we just get weird. And it's then it, it becomes less about sort of the the problems going on in the family i mean that's still a backdrop but then we just kind of get like frank's sort of day-to-day kid stuff that he's doing and what he's going they're they're you know running away and they're going and doing all this and having trouble and he's trying to someone's paying him to dance but he only has one shoe so he can't do it and it was that was a little bit odd for me um and not to necessarily knock uh frank but I understand that there's, you know, there's all sorts of there's good days and bad days, and I understand that humor was a big element that he was trying to kind of like in a lot of ways use, not as a coping mechanism in this book, but kind of to 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 keep it even keeled a little bit, even though it definitely shades a lot more sure, you know, sure depressing and all this versus the the humorous elements in this book. But there are there are several of them in there. I understand that it's kind of, you know, in a way to to counterbalance that, but to me, it just it's it's so out of whack. We just get so much just upfront, all this sort of, ugh, just depressing lobbed on us, and then we get like a little lighthearted moment, and at that point you're like, oh, <laughs> uh, wh- what? And then it's just, oh yeah, all right. And so my this guy that was at my school, all yeah. of his siblings died from consumption, and he got off from school, and he was super happy about it, but he wanted his sister to die in September, but then he died of consumption. You're just like, cool.
0: Um- Okay, I got I got a little bit of a confession to make. What's that? Um, I don't know what consumption is. Tuberculosis. I, it, it is okay. It's TB. Okay. I I read the entire book and I wasn't sure what it was. What did you think? I, <laughs> no, hang on. No, okay. Just hang on. Like I I meant to Google it the entire time I was reading it, and I kept forgetting. I kept forgetting, and then it's mentioned on one of the last couple pages, and I was like. Damn it! I didn't Google it. I just read this whole book, and I didn't Google what consumption was. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, I I just I just figured like consumption was just like a cold or like I don't know, like they were starving or yeah. A cold. I, I never I don't know I've never heard damn yeah, that's the old that's
1: the old timey uh, the old timey phrase for good old tuberculosis. All right. Well, yeah, they're coughing up blood. They're basically wasting away.
0: It's yeah. Awful. I. Yeah. Okay. That answers my question. Um, where were we before I debrief? Oh, the lighthearted stuff. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. There were a few like moments of, of levity that, you know, I I think are, are entertaining. And I mean, the Irish like always have like their whimsical folktales and stuff. I have, I have a whole book of like Irish folktales and, you know, there's, there are always like these elements of like, you know, just dark subject matter that, you know, just have these, you know, kind of lighter elements to it and I think that's kind of fun like the exaggeration and and whatever and I, I I don't know, maybe he tried to weave some of those elements into this book and obviously didn't have a great effect on you. I didn't I didn't find it jarring. I just found it uh uninteresting and unnecessary. Sure. Um but I mean a lot of this a lot of the book, you know, I found uh uninteresting and unnecessary. I mean, you can you can drive home a point without being so long-winded about it I think yeah i mean
1: we do get to a point where it's it's you know we get parts that just seem to go on and repeat themselves over and over and over and that's yeah not to diminish his experiences because you know if it's if it's all if it's all true and it's you know exactly what he what he went through then it's i understand his need to to Bring it all out to to put everything out there. But as a reader, it just kind of feels like we're repeating it. Like every chapter, it's okay. We're kind of getting the same vibe. He's, you know, he's at school. He's always struggling. His mom's struggling. His dad didn't, his dad spent the money on something else. Oh, they gave his dad money and he spent it on alcohol again. And then uh, somebody died. Next chapter. It's, if we do, you do feel like you kind of get into that. Haze of rinse repeat for about yeah a hundred pages, and it's uh it is unfortunate because it does really mentally bog you down some. Not so much that I like had to put the book down or anything, but in my mind I was just going like, I get it. It it's bad. Right. Yep. It's really bad, and it yeah. keeps getting worse, and it's awful, and it's even worse, and then it's still bad, and it's worse. Yeah, and. For me as a reader, a lot of this, hey, it's our podcast. I get to I get to talk from my own, you know, viewpoint and standpoint and things that I like. For me as a reader, I look at it and I go, wow, there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting stuff in here. Not for me though. I just am so over this like cycle of it just gets worse. It just gets worse. Oh, look, here's some here's some humor, and then it just gets worse. Yeah. Cause it just it, it, it very it it felt just kind of like Filler episodes in a sitcom, right? You sure, know, yeah, I, I I get that. You just get some stuff in there to further drive home the point that this is happening, and then we'll eventually get it uh, something that oh well, this kind of moves
0: forward Frank's life. Yeah, Charles Dickens would have loved the this book. Like <laughs> it is, it is extremely Dickensian in its like misery, misery uh, and and repeating it, itself over and over. I did, I did find some some things you know really interesting. Um, I, I did find the interaction. Um, with the extended family, um, interesting in that like they weren't always willing to help out in direct ways, but yeah. they were always willing to help out sort of indirectly. Well, I know a person that you know can help you, you know, whatever. So I'm gonna stick you with them. Uh, you know, like the aunt was a miserable bitch, yeah, just an awful person. Um, and so I I, th- I thought that was interesting, and and just sort of the the overarching concept of like. When you are also in, you know, a, a poverty situation, like how do you help other people who are, you know, slightly down the ladder from that? Right. If you yeah. have nothing, how do you give nothing to somebody who has less nothing? You know, uh, and and that that struggle, I think, uh, was was really difficult to watch. And then, you know, tied to that, you had the, you know, these social programs through the through the churches, right? And uh, you know, just the the shame peddling that that went into that and uh, still the expectation that, like, you know, you, you needed to to give back and to, uh, you know, be a part of this this community and, you know, uh, just sort of wallow in, in misery. But if you get anything, you still owe it to the church, um, yeah. despite the fact that, you know, they'll make you pay, you know, sort of emotionally to beg for for stuff. I mean the the whole concept of Christian charity and I don't I don't know what McCourt's religious beliefs were later in his life when he was writing well, this. I think I he's very just, just
1: non ag- agnostic maybe yeah. atheist That's what studios. I gathered from watching a few interviews that he did.
0: Yeah, so I mean he's he's definitely you can tell writing from uh sort of a critical lens <laughs> when it comes to religion um and you know that that comes through maybe rightly so um with with some of those interactions but uh, some of those things I think were were interesting to see and like to think about. I'd never mm-hmm. considered like, you know, how did the poor help the poor? Um, you know, the robbing to to get by. I mean, my my grandfather uh, was his, his father. My great grandfather was a sharecropper down in Central Texas near Waco, and uh, they would. Uh, they, I have somewhere I have a drawing of, of their cabin. It was it was a bedroom uh, or one room cabin that was like maybe 15 feet by 10 feet. Um, yeah. And uh, they, they would take uh, tree stumps and, uh, and it was like elevated, um, you know, on, on like stilts or whatever, just in the middle of a field. And uh, they would take tree stumps to make the steps going up to the front. And every winter they were so poor that it was, they could pull up the steps, or they could start tearing the house apart for for firewood. So, like even them destroying the house in this book, I was like, oh, my grandfather did that. My grandfather stole chickens from the farm, uh, and uh, and you know when they didn't have anything to eat, and they, so I, I thought of my grandfather a lot, like because he would tell these these stories uh, when when he was alive, and you know he he was much more humorous about it though. Yeah, um, you know he would say this. It was really hard, but you know this and these are the things that we did but it was always kind of like how crazy is it that we did this kind of thing um
1: well a lot of that probably comes down to the family unit too and that's true. part of the dysfunction in this book is that true you don't really have a family unit he's having to play you know child and parent and
0: yeah although the, my so my grandfather had uh six brothers and sisters um their maternal or maternal their biological mom tried to poison them because she wanted to run off with another man uh and eventually did and and my great-grandfather was was uh left to care for the kids and some of them were already like grown up and, and gone by then my grandfather was the youngest okay but uh yeah so not too dissimilar man fair <laughs> enough <laughs> uh that's that's a whole nother both my grandparents are just like books just waiting in the wings yeah. i think uh any anyway, rate, we need to get, <laughs> get back to the McCourt family, though. Um, but yeah, I, I think some of the some of the elements of just sort of the the day in the life kind of thing were I thought were really fascinating about this book. But you know, maybe not enough to redeem the overarching kind of view that I have of this thing. Did you
1: know that there is apparently some controversy about yeah. this book? I don't know if it's. I'm sure it's grossly outweighed by all the positive. Uh, reviews and buzz and everything but i guess anytime you get memoirs like this there is that potential controversy of uh other people maybe that existed in the same time uh, people around you that uh basically say no it didn't happen like this or it's a very one-sided you're kind of just you're putting all of these things out there that aren't necessarily true and a lot of that comes back to again a topic that we've talked about on the podcast, and that's kind of the inconsistency of memory, right? Yep. Especially again him being so late in life when he wrote about his childhood and all this. Not that he, I'm sure, I'm sure he vividly remembered a lot of these traumatic and uh, sort of fundamental things that shaped his his childhood. But you would have to imagine that at some point that far removed from the situation, that there is a little bit of that um your memory kind of smoothing things over to fit sort of the ideas of the narrative in your head. So sure. I would wager just completely, completely slanderously and without any evidence whatsoever. Yes. How would you what would your percentage be of a hundred as to legitimate fiction and or legitimate fiction, legitimate fiction, uh legitimate factual experiences And perhaps maybe like leaning into things a little bit like, well, this is kind of this is kind of there's what's Ireland, you know, stereotypically historically known for the absentee, drunk father, the like suffering mother, poverty, all these other things. How much of that is kind of like a collective consciousness that you're kind of like leaning into to sort of fill in those gaps versus tried, true. It happened on this day at this time. This is all that happens because I genuinely think that if you wrote a memoir using only things that you evidentially could prove exactly happened mm-hmm. like that you would have a pretty boring memoir a lot of like yeah. your the purpose of your memory is to kind of fill in those gaps and and fill in those things so if it's me i'm just going to throw this out there completely yeah. uneducated and someone who's probably a frank mccourt truther on twitter can hit us up and complain yeah i'm going to say it's 70 30 i'm going to say about 70 probably tried true actual and maybe 30% you know to kind of give that to really drive home a lot of what's going on to kind okay. of lean into that sort of uh stereotype or that sort of shared consciousness that that like impoverished early Irish experience.
0: Um okay, so I'm going to I'm going to take a bit more of a of a uh I'm just, intellectual I'm approach. calling
1: him a, I'm calling him a 30% liar just out of nowhere because I'm trying to stir up some controversy because there's already some controversy. I mean yeah. Yeah, it's out there a lot I'm, of
0: I'm going to uh,
1: a lot of people in Ireland have disputed a lot of what he has said occurred
0: yeah. and people and life in limerick and things of that nature. So, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, you're probably way off. It's probably a lot more that, that is not factually correct. So oh. I, I, had, um, one of, one of my, um, nonfiction, um, creative writing teachers in college, his name's, uh, Daryl Farmer. He's, he's written, uh, a few books uh, one, one's called, uh, bicycling across the divide. He like rode a bike across America quite literally okay. and wrote, wrote a book about it. Um, he, uh, his most recent one, um, was a bunch of, uh, short stories, uh, from Alaska. He's been teaching up at the university of, uh, Fairbanks, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and he has th- these short stories really phenomenal. I, I love that. Um, and, uh, so we talked in his classes, um, a lot about this, this sort of concept of, you know, truth in um, in memoir, and um, th- you're gonna you you would get different answers from from everybody about that. But you know, some of the conversations that, that sort of circle around, like you know, what is truth? What is um, what are facts? Right? Um, and I think at the end of the day, my my sort of thought when it comes to to this is that um, salient facts. Things that you have, like you know, documentation of that would that would stand up in a court of law. Um, when it comes to memory and 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 personal memoir, those things are very far and few between. And when you when you set out on a project like McCourt did um, to write about your childhood, um, it may be more important that the reader walks away with an impression about sure. what you went through versus. Um, the actual salient facts, because the, the truth is that if you called your mother tonight and said, hey, do you remember, you know, this Christmas when I got my, you know, Super Nintendo or whatever your favorite like Christmas present was, and you might remember that exactly this way. And she's going to say, that's the wrong year. I actually gave that to your sister and you just liked it more and whatever. And you could put a gun to your head and and say, don't you remember it this way? Or, you know, you have to remember it the way that your mother does, um, or I'm going to shoot you in the head, and you're never going to remember it that way. Yeah. The the truth of that experience is yours and yours alone, and your mom's is hers and hers alone, and you're you, you're never going to be able to really reconcile those those two things together. And that's that's really it's it's a cool and complicated thing when it comes to to memoir, especially when you have real people and real experiences that you're trying to to weave into this. So, yeah, I I, I think McCourt would. Probably less of this book is, is actual, true, like, court evidentiary type documentation than it is just it's sort not of that, the impression. It's not that kind of a book. Yeah, and and let's be honest, too. Like, when, when you're a kid, you're you're pretty awful at remembering stuff, right? That's fair. And you're pretty awful at understanding things. So your impression of a certain situation is probably way different than, you know, what your mother or your father's was at, at the time, right? Yeah. Uh, and certainly, time is skewed. I mean, uh, I remember Mike, Just I'll say this, and then we we need to, we need to talk about the controversy. Okay, I remember my grandmother's uh, house growing up. I was uh, probably five years old, six years old when they when I saw it last. I remember their front driveway being like a mountainous, a steep hill, right mm-hmm. kind of thing you'd sled down in the winter. I went back to that house when I was fifteen. There couldn't have been more than like a five foot difference in a driveway that was like 150 feet long. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was barely a slope, but when you, when you're a kid things, just the perspective of life is vastly different than when you're an adult. And when you're 65 writing about, you know, your childhood in a foreign country after you've lived somewhere else, uh, for a long time, everything gets skewed. And again, it's about, I think creating the impression um, not collecting facts. Fair. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> we got to we got to talk about uh, Jerry Hannon. All right. Let's talk about Jerry Hannon. So I had the privilege
1: of scouring the internet post reading this book because I I do like to I like to watch author interviews. That's one of my big things that I go to immediately after reading a book because I yeah. really kind of want to get a feel for the author. Sometimes they can expound upon things in those interviews that it's like, wow, I didn't even think about that. That's awesome. Because, you know, it's from the horse's mouth. It's like, well, I was kind of in this mood when I was doing this. It's like, oh, and it gives you something to kind of think about afterwards. Well, as I was doing this for Frank McCourt, uh, one of them popped up on some late, late show, I guess, in the UK. Yeah. um, Some odd 20 years ago or something. Yeah, 1999. There was some controversy. There was a man in the audience who basically was very livid and calling out uh frank mccord on being you know a liar and making up a lot about this story and about limerick and about some of these other people and it was fascinating because he apparently he's written some books in direct opposition or i guess is sort of a counterpoint to uh to the memoirs that mccord wrote
0: yeah he has he has a list of 117 uh Like things that were inaccurate about Angela's ashes. Give me four. Uh, I'm actually I I couldn't find the list. What? So yeah, it's it's not it's not linked in Wikipedia. How are you gonna sell me on the list and Uh, then he doesn't give me any? He I don't know. He just he seems like maybe it's behind a paywall somewhere. Yeah, maybe. Uh, But but clearly, like he he took offense to this, and and you should go out on YouTube uh, and and actually watch the video because it's six minutes long. And it's, it's pretty entertaining. And so let's, let's be honest. This guy just sort of sits in the audience and just like kind of yells and blusters that, that he's a liar and has no like actual he, factual he has stuff.
1: Some pretty loosey goosey yeah. type things like, Oh, I knew somebody that knew you or that right. had said all this. Uh, why didn't you talk about all these good things that happened when so-and-so had paid you or when you were in this organization? Uh, this woman who you said you slept with was three days from her deathbed, and so you're some lascivious pervert or something for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Which McCourt... It's interesting, because McCourt then says that he changed the name of that right, person. Right, right. Which is interesting. Um, I'm guessing, I guess, everyone outside of his family, then perhaps names could have been changed for uh, that sake. But it doesn't sure. seem like that. I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like uh, I'd never in any of the interviews i hadn't heard him say anything of that nature so i assumed that these were just like the people
0: yeah i I don't know but yeah this this guy definitely uh definitely had some some things and he's like sweating his ass off as he's like you know yelling uh trying to yell him down and i don't know who the woman was in the audience at the end that was basically like you're you're a crazy guy like just stop um but seem to seem to know this guy or at least be familiar with his stuff. But, but the Irish in general seem to maybe not like the that, impression yeah, that or some me, Irish. That
1: sent me on a on a on a rabbit hole. There was apparently, because, you know, the book was made into a movie, there was uh, a pretty substantial group that were kind of like boycotting when the movie came out that are very adamantly uh opposed to the book. And I mean, to some extent I can understand it, because it's a very, you know whether or not it's entirely intentional it it does p- paint a pretty bleak and stereotypical kind of view of Ireland as being this sort of sure. drunken backwatery poor which to be fair in a lot of ways is is true Ireland especially at the turn of the century and after the you know the famine in the 1800s it was not in great shape yeah so it's not surprising to me at all that, that people would cope with uh, higher degrees of alcoholism or that you would have this like level of poverty or that sort of, uh, you know, animosity between North and South. I, I think it's just one of those things that when you feel like you're being attacked, like maybe a group that's like, Hey, this is not, this isn't fair. My experience is different. Or maybe I saw something a little bit different, or I knew someone that was in this town was a little bit different. Like maybe you feel as though there's some sort of personal attack in that. And that's, yeah. that was strange to me. It's like, well, you know, it's, it's his story it's what happened to him i mean if you think that something is different go write your own memoir i mean about yeah. your about your great childhood in Limerick in ireland if that's if that's what you feel needs to be put out there will it probably sell as well no I mean, not because people love their misery memoirs right. as we addressed earlier but yeah, yeah that is interesting to me that a book like this would garner so much controversy
0: well especially since it doesn't really address like I don't think like Irish society as a whole. Yeah, it doesn't. It it's, it's, it's focuses on his family. It's and very isolated. Yeah. So like to 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 think that like, and and yes, there are certainly like Irish stereotypes that were that are played up. They're low Or into. I, I shouldn't say played up. There there are Irish stereotypes that we have that some of the the characters in this memoir or individuals in this memoir exhibit right like the the drunkenness right sure um that's just everybody you know says that irish you know drink and and whatever right and so like his dad being an alcoholic maybe they didn't appreciate that that like perpetuates a stereotype that you know probably is not true like for the entirety of of society so you know, I can I can get those kind of things, but, you know, it's it's just like anything else, like really sit down and think for a fucking second before you get like your panties in a wad about somebody doing or saying something. Are they really saying something about you or are they just saying something about something more specific? And I could I could get if he was making a larger social commentary about the Irish, but I feel like that is not this book. Um, if anything, he's probably making more social commentary about, uh, the Catholic church than anything in this. I mean, uh, I mean, and so like get upset about that, but like everything else, like, come on, let's, let's not be outraged about things that are not worthy of being outraged. That's fair. Uh, But then again, this book wasn't about, you know, anything that I care about. Although I don't know, I mean, like from a societal standpoint, like, I don't know if, if he was like in... You know, North Central Texas. If uh, if I'd be more offended, or you know, rural Wisconsin, there's nothing or deeply something. personal yeah.
1: about this to you, so it's kind of hard to get offended, yeah. by proxy.
0: But I mean, again, I think I think it all of that just goes back to the the discussion about truth, right, in memoir, and when you when you expose, you know, difficult topics, um, and under the the umbrella of nonfiction, um, then there is the the potential that other people's memories are going to be different and that you're going to have conflict because of that uh for better or or worse
1: that's tough man i i can't imagine being a a writer in that sphere because you do you open yourself up to so much more criticism than in basically any other i mean at least in traditional nonfiction, a lot of the stuff you're talking about is easily researched and so you kind of can do your due diligence to make sure sure that you're not leaving yourself vulnerable to that type of attack in fiction hey it's fiction i made it up Right, if it if it resembles some story somewhere else i mean story there's only like what five stories that ever exist or something like that right yeah that's the argument but man memoirs it's because you're kind of playing you're you're kind of sit riding that fence of well it happened but you know this is all by my memory so there's that imperfection i'm kind of filling in the gaps with how i felt about it oh that may not be exactly how it happened that's just how i felt it happened and that is kind of that weird area where it's you're opening yourself up to a lot of uh, uh, a lot of criticism. There, should we rate this bad boy? Well, let's do it and let's get into uh, the next uh, episode, possibly episode.
0: I struggle with this book because I don't want to reread sure. it. I don't really want to recommend it to anybody necessarily, um, just because it is such a slog. Um, but there's like nothing bad about it. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the thing. So I, I guess. Like for for like just utter ambiguity, I'll just throw it on my bottom shelf and like I I mean it's fine I I I'll keep it. Yeah,
1: I just shrug my shoulders at it. It very much fits in that uh you know there are books that we've read on here that I've been very passionate about positively blankets gentlemen in Moscow things that yeah, nature yeah. it's very easy to figure out where those go. are things that I've been very passionate about negatively. It's oh very, yeah. Very easy to think about where those go. This one, again, it's, I left this book, um, you feel, you know, you do feel kind of this like, wow, that was, it was less that like I felt sad or that I was like brought to tears or I I, I don't think reading in general has that sort of emotional effect on me. Like I can feel things, but it's not something that I have such a visceral reaction to anything from where you know, I can understand people that have that more visceral reaction. They're they're moved immensely emotionally by this book, and it, it makes a bigger impression on them and a bigger connection. I think that's literally 100% of who gets this book and who doesn't get this book, mm-hmm. is if you're that person who's going to be able to have that emotional effect from a novel. And I'm not that kind of... Per- I'm, I'm just a little bit detached from it enough that I don't have that deeply emotional. And so with that effect removed... You're kind of just left with this sort of like meandering, uh, in in places dull, just sort of sad story. And um, like you said, there's nothing structurally. There's nothing. There's nothing that we can put our finger on and go, "This is all." I'm getting rid of this book because this, this, and this are yeah, terrible. Yeah, it's a it's a perfectly serviceable, readable. There was no issues with that. The story in and of itself, at times, was compelling. Um, but yeah, like you, it's it's tough. I don't really want to reread it. I don't really want to recommend it to a ton of people. Um, it's it's in a weird spot. So yeah, it's kind of just like I don't want to get, you gotta, you gotta don't wanna get rid of, of it. Yeah, I don't want to get rid of it because I perhaps you know uh, a few years from now maybe I'll pick it back up and think about it. It's one of those things that like I would leave the door open on that for. It's not something I'm actively trying to reread though. So I'm gonna stick it on the bottom shelf as well. For that alone, pending perhaps some other maybe I'll maybe I'll soften up in my older age and I'll yeah. read it and I'll start having thoughts about my own youth and that'll probably bring some sort of emotional upwelling in me. And maybe then it'll click and it'll connect with me and I'll love it and read the other ones. But right now it's just it's very much a it's a serviceable, competent book that was okay. Yeah. And it's on the bottom shelf for me.
0: Uh I will say it's the least engaging Pulitzer. That we've that we've read, um, I think every Pulitzer. Um, this did win a Pulitzer. It did win the Pulitzer. Why are you squinting at it? Well, because
1: I. I- so I thought I heard in one of the interviews it won a Pulitzer in like biographies and something like that. So I don't. They have Pulitzers for different. Well, yeah, yeah, genres, yeah different right? genres.
0: Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so I don't know. Pulitzer, it would have been like nonfiction. Or Pulitzer to me, or,
1: I put a little bit more weight into fiction Pulitzers for myself.
0: Because oh, maybe I, maybe that's how specific we need to get
1: fiction with, Pulitzers. With yeah. No, I don't know.
0: Yeah, not not great. All right, we need something. We need something better. I know you have you have two options. You you kind of floated them past me. I I need I need something that's gonna be like more engaging. Heads or tails. Uh, tails. Okay, we're gonna read. Uh,
1: we're gonna switch it up. We're gonna do a little bit. Uh, we've we've had some very rough childhood things. We're just gonna. I'm gonna completely switch gears. Go left field here. Okay, and let's kick it into some. Cold War era espionage, British, Soviets, East West Germany, covert, who done it, twists and turns. Excellent. Uh, a little novel called "The Spy Who Came in from the Cold" by John Le Carr, okay, um, published back in 1963. So published. Basically, in the height of the Cold War. So, yeah. it's an interesting yeah. novel. A movie was made of it. You're a big Bond guy. So, like, I feel like this is in your wheelhouse, right? Sure. That, yeah. like, espionage, spy versus spy type situations. I don't think it's won any awards. I have no idea what other works uh, our, our author here has made. So, we, we, it might be one of those just we just read it and it's just a fun
0: little book. We need a palate cleanser. Sure. That's the, I, hopefully, this, this can be it. So sure. Here's the deal. I, w- I was going to do a play like I was on you've this. Been, you've been, you've been yeah. throwing
1: this play out there for about a month plus so now.
0: I thought, I'd, I thought I'd test the waters on see what, uh see what a tweet just looking for book recommendations would yield. Not a fucking one. <laughs> <laughs> so w- the people aren't going to decide. We, we don't have a very social
1: media heavy uh, No, and fan I, I get, base I get it. it. Twitter,
0: Twitter's just whatever. Listen, like not a lot of people like Twitter. I'm and,
1: on Twitter. I don't participate in Twitter, if yeah. that makes sense.
0: So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm one. I'm scrapping the the People's Choice for now. Uh, two. I'm scrapping the play because I think that we just need to get like into a happy place. Okay. We still, man. We still need to get some fantasy. That's like
1: one of our genre. That and horror and romance. <sighs> Uh, those are our genres we haven't a, delved in yet. a good
0: a good buddy of of ours has recommended the way of kings by brandon sanderson and it's i've i've got it. it's it been on my shelf but it's about you know 14 inches that's, thick
1: yeah that's the problem with some of these fantasy novels yep. that are really highly regarded very small font 800 plus pages yeah. same with horror too some of uh stephen king books things of like that that i've seen that are <gasps> recommended they're like
0: monstrous have you, have you watched the outsider on hbo no, uh, so Jason Bateman is directing and he's acting in uh, in that show. Sure, and it's based on a Stephen King novel that yeah. I've never heard of before. Oh boy, is it good! Oh, all right. maybe maybe we should do that. My dad would li- my dad would
1: listen to that episode. We're he doing loves it, Stephen King. the
0: Outsider, Stephen King. Okay, yes. I've never
1: read any Stephen King. I haven't
0: either. Never, never a single one. I've seen tons of movies based on his books, but never read Stephen King.
1: It's just one of those when you when you approach an author. With such a huge collection and so many like, oh, I know this, I know this, like I know him, of him, I know all these movies and stuff. It's hard to know where to begin.
0: Yeah. So I've always just kind of been like, nah, I don't know
1: what I want to read. And I never yeah. read one.
0: And I've, I've asked my parents before because they've read some of that and they're like, oh, you should read this, 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 this. And they've read, you know, half a dozen stuff each by, by him. And I'm sure. like, okay, well, just like give me one, guys. Yeah. Just, we'll just, just start one. at one. Yeah. And don't make it the best one because then I'm gonna be disappointed the rest of the time. Like make it make it a good like entry level. Middle
1: middle one. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, our next two episodes should get us out of our little uh suffering funk. Not that again, yeah. I mean nickel boys were we both love that. This book was a little bit lower for us, but we'll 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 be back around be good. for some more suffering we just need a break. Oh
0: god, I just need a break.
1: So next book is The Spy
0: Who Came In From the Cold. Okay, thank you. I could not remember it. You <laughs> couldn't and then remember the, the title. And then the book after will be The Outsider by Stephen King thank you for listening to this episode and until next time